This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. All right. Let's not. Uh, let's get into it. You ready? Right. Okay. So the first, the first uh, few questions we're going to do today are from the pulmonology section, and um, I'm going to start with uh, question one. So the first question um, is: A term infant is born by cesarean section and is transferred to the NICU at one hour of life because of respiratory distress. The infant is intermittently tachypnic, has some mild subcostal retraction and nasal flaring, some, some typical signs of respiratory distress. Uh, the infant has a room air oxygen saturation of 100%. Chest radiograph reveals a pneumomediastinum. What is the most appropriate next step? So again, this is a, this is a question where uh, they want to know the, the, the immediate next step. So um, choice A is administer supplemental oxygen. Choice B is initiate CPAP. Choice C is intubation, so intubate the infant. Choice D is observe the infant. Choice E is obtain an arterial blood gas. All right, DB, what's up? Well, so, you know, you were you were hoping you would get to make the diagnosis, but they gave us the diagnosis, right? So so then they want us to to know what we what we do next. And so this is a baby who has some signs of of respiratory distress, but is saturating very well, um, and yeah. has a pneumomediastinum, not a pneumopericardium or not a pneumothorax. So that's we'll yeah. start there. So I like to just start at the beginning. Um, and run my way, my run myself through the answers. So, a administer supplemental oxygen. Um, I think I will start out by just labeling that in the maybe column. But this baby is already saturating a hundred percent, and certainly in terms of neonates, um, administering supplemental oxygen for air leaks is you know, falling out of favor. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, B, initiate continuous positive airway pressure. So um, if I can avoid this in pneumomediastinum, uh, that would be what I should do. I should try to avoid um, any additional pressure that I don't need. So I'm- But but it's not a contraindication, right? Correct. Right. Especially if the baby Mm -hmm. is worsening from a respiratory- status and we have no choice. Um, but this baby seems to be holding their own. Um, C, intubate the infant, same thing. So this would be another means, obviously, to provide better airway pressure. Um, and so if I can avoid that, then I will. If you're not going to do CPAP, that's right. <laughs> I'm not going to intubate the baby. Um, <laughs> Uh, D, observe the infant. So I think this is definitely within reason for a baby who, mm-hmm. um, you know, has some signs, but is uh, for the most part well and has a pneumomediastinum, which in general, I would expect to resolve on its own. Um, so E, mm-hmm. obtain an arterial blood gas. So same thing. I, I think if the respiratory status is um, benign enough that I'm not going to um, increase my ventilation support, ventilatory support, then I um, 
I probably for this answer won't won't get an EBG. This baby may have already gotten <laughs> blood gas when they came in with with That's respiratory possible. distress. Um, so I'm going to say uh, D. Observe uh, this infant. You are correct. Mm -hmm. So observe the infant is the correct answer, and uh, I think everything you've said so far has been uh, very much on point. Uh, Pneumomediastinum usually does not lead to significant clinical symptoms. And I think this is where this, this question could be a bit tricky, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you have a baby that's tachypnic, that has mild subcostal mm -hmm. retraction, that shows nasal flaring. Um, but like you said, it's setting 100% on room air. So I think this could cause sometimes a bit of confusion. Should you address that in any way? And the answer is is no. You could, you could watch the patient because the natural course of pneumomediastinum is that they should typically mm -hmm. resolve on their own. Um, and then remembering that this is not a baby that's admitted to the pediatric unit, but to the NICU that's going to be on continuous mm -hmm. monitoring. Um, so there's really room to observe this infant despite a little bit of sign of clinical signs of respiratory distress syndrome, of respiratory distress, not respiratory distress syndrome. Um, do you remember what the, the chest x-ray uh, finding is on for pneumomediastinum? That's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> uh, but yes, it is the, the spinnaker sail sign or the angel wing sign. So the the sail sign, I sometimes get this mixed up. The sail yeah, sign is just the normal thymus on x-ray. But the spinnaker yeah, sign. I've seen a lot of boats as, as, a, as a kid. I come from a town uh, that has lots of a nice port. And yet the angel wing is so much easier to remember. For I feel sure. like it's, it's, it's... For sure. Yeah. So it's the... It's exactly what it looks it's like. It's the outlining of the thymus with air, basically. And so it really mm -hmm. just has this uh, much more ethereal appearance than the thymus does uh, normally, where it's uh, um, much more, you know, straighter lines. So it really looks like a sail versus this angel wing mm -hmm. or the spinnaker sail sign. Um, I guess the last point I wanted to make on this question is the fact that pneumomediastinum can present with muffled heart mm -hmm. sounds. And um, the reason I'm mentioning this uh, it kind of makes sense, right? Whenever you have muffled heart sounds, it means something is in between uh, your stethoscope and the heart. Mm -hmm. uh, and so in this case, it's a little bit of air. But I I like buzzwords and sometimes muffled heart sounds mm -hmm. can, can make you jump towards a diagnosis of like cardiac tamponade or something. But really, even if that presents itself here, there's really clinically not much to go on, like blood pressure, everything else should be really fine, which again, if you have a, an actively developing tamponade, you should not uh, have normal blood pressure and so on and so forth. So uh, something else that they could use to present that pathology. And um, and again, I think this is important for people to know. Yeah, the only other pearls I would say, you know, pneumomediastinum we've talked about, but um, tends to present um, with associated with TTN, um, respiratory distress syndrome, pneumothoraces very commonly, meconium aspiration syndrome, and pneumonias, um, as well as obviously any baby on mechanical ventilation or who um, got resuscitation in the delivery room um, is at risk. So, Yeah. Thank you. For okay. okay. Shall we go to question number six in the pulmonary section? Um, this is another one where you get the diagnosis right off the right off the bat. An infant is born with a tracheoesophageal fistula. During which of the following stages of lung development did this lesion most likely occur? Uh, a. Alveolar. B. Canalicular. C. Embryonic. D. Pseudoglandular. E. Saccular. Oh boy. Oh boy. And this uh, is definitely, you know, one of yeah. these is going to show up on the test for sure. 
the stages yeah, of lung I, development. From, from my recollection, these always somehow show mm-hmm. up on the test. So, so number one, the issue is all the stages are there. So there's not even like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they're all suggested. So let me, let me take this one step at a mm. time. The, the way I remember this is in three phases. You have the first two stages of development, which are embryonic, which is easy to remember because it's called embryonic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second stage is pseudoglandular. Then you have what I refer to as the preemie stages, which is the, the time the babies are usually born, which are the, uh, the uh, saccular and canalicular stages. And then finally, you have the alveolar stages, which usually takes place after 36 weeks and goes on uh, well into childhood. So these are my, the way I categorize them. I remember the, the, um, the order of the different stages, thanks to that uh, mnemonic, called each part comes through age where uh, each starts with an E for embryonic part, sorry, comes, uh, it starts with a P for pseudoglandular, comes with a C uh, for canalicular, through uh, with uh, the T for terminal saccule, and then H for alveolar. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I remember this is that in the first stages of development, uh, anything wrong with the trachea, the esophagus, uh, any types of laryngeal cleft, that's usually embryonic. And then pseudoglandular, you should have all those cystic lesions, right? Mm-hmm. There's the CPAMs and so on and so forth. So from that alone, I would say that uh, the answer would be embryonic. Mm. Correct. Very good. All right. So yeah, you're totally right. So in the embryonic stage, like you said, it's really um, the formation of the trachea and the bronchi um, abutting one another um, and the five lobes of the lung. So knowing what's happening in the in the during that time period is important, knowing the time frame, lots of questions on that. So embryonic is the earliest stage, usually between zero and seven weeks. That's too hard for me to remember. So I usually think of zero to five, and then I go by tens after that. So like you said, laryngeal uh-huh. clefts, tracheal stenosis, TEFs in this um, time period. Pseudoglandular is when we get the formation of non-respiratory bronchioles and the air-conducting bronchial tree up to the terminal bronchi. This is also when respiratory epithelium begins to make amniotic fluid. So fluids and things makes me helps me remember that happens during the pseudoglandular time period. This mm-hmm. is week 7 to 17. I try to remember 5 to 15. And like you said, the cysts, the bronchogenic cysts, the CPAMs, um, congenital lobar emphysema, and um, congenital diaphragmatic hernia is another one um, that happens in this time period and is asked quite a bit. The canalicular Mm -hmm. stage, 17 to 27 weeks. Again, I remember 15 to 25. That's when you get the formation of the respiratory bronchioles and um, canaliculi or canaliculus means uh, like small passageway. So um, that helps me remember that. And in the canalicular stage, and like you said, the terminal sac or the saccular stage, where we're really getting the formation of the alveolar ducts and the alveolar sacs between 27 to 36 weeks, I remember 25 to 35 weeks, that's where we see pulmonary hypoplasia. So when you say that's kind of the preemie time period, um, this periviable into late preterm time, and that's where we see pulmonary hypoplasia. And then the alveolar... Um, period, alveoli growing out from the alveolar sacs, and this continues until early childhood, three to eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, so lots of things to remember. It's definitely going to be on the test, but um, I think if uh, you take a look at one of our charts, one of um, the charts in the neonatology review book, or make your own chart, that that it will be easy to to digest. Yeah. 
having attended, unfortunately, as a fellow, um, some of the pathology after after the, after sort of a bad outcome mm. in the NICU, you, you, I recall that every time in the in the um, in the uh, in the autopsies, right, they would describe the lungs mm-hmm. as either in the sacular or mm-hmm. in the canalicular stages of development. You would never see lungs in the embryonic or pseudoglandular. So that's 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 why I sort of remember that 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 range is like this is where those babies tend to be delivered early. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, I wish we we had. To, I mean, we do, we do deal with babies who are in the alveolar mm-hmm. stages. So anyway. Um, for the audience being worried, we're going to get plenty of stuff wrong. Um, the pulmonary yeah. section is kind of our go-to thing. Um, but yeah, believe me, this is not going to be the type of podcast where we get everything right all the time. I can speak for myself when I say, wait, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. <laughs> wait until we get to these endo questions. That's right. <laughs> you have to write it all down. But pulmonary, pulmonary, I feel like, is uh, is the is what we all enjoy, all right? <laughs> We are all sort of uh, frustrated pediatric pulmonologists in the NICU. <laughs> I don't um, know if they would agree with that, right. the pulmonologists. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, um, all right, you ready for the next one? Yes. All right, this will be our, our last one of the episode, so um, stay tuned. The difference, this is question 10 in the pulmonary section. So the difference between a congenital pulmonary airway malformation or CPAM formerly called cystic adenomatous oh boy formerly called CCAM cystic adenomatoid malformation bam nailed it and bronchopulmonary sequestration is that so they want to know the difference between a CPAM and bronchopulmonary sequestration so the difference is that choice a CPAM is supplied by the pulmonary circulation while a sequestration is not choice b CPAM is typically unilateral while the sequestration is bilateral. Choice C, CPAM may cause respiratory distress, while a sequestration rarely does. Choice D, sequestration connects to the tracheobronchial tree, while CPAM does not. And finally, choice E, sequestration often regresses in utero, while a CPAM does not. All right, Daphna, what's your take? These are very wordy That's answers. right. So easy to get tripped up, uh, tripped up on. So when I mm-hmm. see this question, the first thing I like to do before I even look at the answers is uh, think about what I do know about those things, what I do, what I do know about their um, similarities and differences, and I actually make a little Venn diagram of sorts. Um, so I like to start with sequestration because I feel like it is what it sounds like it is. So the sequestration is sequestered away. It's over there. It's misbehaving. It's in timeout. And so it's, it's not functioning. It's, it's removed from the system. It does not connect to the tracheobronchial tree and it does not um, receive any of the pulmonary circulation. It gets all of that circulation from uh, the systemic circulation. Um, and so that helps me right off the bat to prepare myself for answering these questions. So a CPAM is supplied by pulmonary circulation while a sequestration is not. Um, and that is correct. So CPAM, uh, comes from the, is fed by the pulmonary circulation um, and the sequestration, uh, receives systemic. So sequestration, systemic, both S's. CPM is typically unilateral while a sequestration is bilateral. Um, in general, they're both um, typically unilateral. Uh, CPM may cause respiratory distress while a sequestration rarely does. 
Um, in fact, either could cause respiratory distress, but of the two, a sequestration, the misbehaving one is much more likely to cause um, respiratory distress. Um, right. And then sequestration often regresses in utero while a CPAM does not. Um, both tend to regress in utero. Um, but again, if one uh, does not, it, it tends to be the, the sequestration, um, which can sometimes lead to high drops in utero. So right. A, the CPAM is supplied by pulmonary circulation while a sequestration is not. Yeah, that is correct. Um, something interesting, right? I mean, when I was, when I'm taking the test, these are questions that I tend to, uh, I want to give a piece of advice to people studying for the test because you read choice A and your initial thought mm -hmm. is, all right, that is, that is correct, right? right? <laughs> and yet I would uh, still myself mm -hmm. read through the next answers because let's say you misread mm -hmm. the first choice and you didn't pick up on the, on the very fine subtlety. Uh, then you'll find that another mm -hmm. choice sounds correct. And you can say, hold on, like, did I misread? And and then instead of just checking A and moving on, sometimes you could get into trouble if you don't read. So I would Absolutely. even, I would suggest, even if you see that choice A is correct, read through everything um, just to make sure you're not missing anything. But yeah, uh, CPAM is supplied by the pulmonary circulation while the sequestration is not. And um, yeah, so, so interesting things about uh, CPAM. Number one, they're the formerly known as the CCAM. So for anybody who's, Who's used these terms interchangeably? Uh, you can put, you can you can expect that on the test uh, the, the the word CCAM should not show up. It will be it will be CCAM. But it is still um, CCAM in in some quests question banks and board review books. So yeah yeah, um, as you said, it's it's uh, thought to occur be because of an imbalance between cell proliferation and apoptosis. It does communicate with the tracheobronchial tree via small tortuous passages. It typically involves only one lobe of the lung in 80 to 95%, mm -hmm. and the majority of the blood supply comes from the uh, pulmonary circulation. Interestingly enough, in some of the choices, they were asking about unilateral mm -hmm. versus not. But there's several types of CPAM, mm -hmm. right, ranging from type 0 to type 4. So there's five types, but 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. And type 1 is definitely the most common and usually involves like a single large cyst. But there's some other... Um, and that, and those are usually unilateral, mm -hmm. but there's other types where you can have a multitude of very small cysts, uh, and so on and so forth. So, uh, these are important to know, but I guess, uh, remembering that type one is the mm -hmm. most common, that the timing of the defect is usually at seven to 10 weeks. Uh, and it usually involves a single large cyst. Um, the idea of whether these can regress in utero, um, is really typical of, of, of the CPAM, right? I mean, the CPAM uh, usually is, is notorious for uh, regressing in utero. And if I'm not mistaken, when it comes to, uh, to the bronchopulmonary sequestration, they too can regress in utero. So really, it's not one versus the other. Both have actually this natural course. Um, but um, as you said, usually uh, the prognosis for uh, the bronchopulmonary sequestration is also is usually uh, very good. So let's talk about that for a second. So bronchopulmonary sequestration um, we, like you said, it's really non-functioning pulmonary tissue that does not communicate with the uh, tracheobronchial tree and receives vascular supply from anomalous systemic vessel, right? So that's something that I think is interesting too, because that could fall on the test where um, the, the, the blood supply comes from the pulmonary circulation in CPAM. You said P, CPAM, pulmonary circulation and sequestration S, systemic. I think that was, that was very helpful. Um, you see how I highlight some of the good tips you're giving to uh, to the audience. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and repetition is key. That's true. That's true. And um, um, yeah, so bronchopulmonary sequestration um, is that's pretty much it. I mean, sometimes it could develop high drops, but fetal surgery has been considered in those cases. And uh, and yeah, usually nothing else. The one that's interesting, I guess, that's not mm-hmm. being mentioned here is that those entities are usually put in comparison with with others like bronchogenic cyst. Um, and I feel like the bronchogenic cyst is a bit different and it's important to mention it too, um, where it's really resulting from uh, an anomalous budding of the foregut and it creates this cystic mass that can be air-filled and that can communicate with the airway and can usually enlarge and get really bigger in size. Um, and that could cause significant, significant problems. And if it doesn't really communicate with the airway and um, and it doesn't really increase in size, then it can cause some some minor slash moderate symptoms in the second decade of life, like coughing, wheezing, recurrent pneumonias. Um, but it's when it connects to the airway, as we said, that you could have this rapid enlargement immediately after birth and they have to be uh, resected surgically. Mm-hmm. Anything else that I forgot? Uh, no, I, I think, I think those are the biggies. Um, yeah, the, if we see a bronchogenic cyst, um, on an x-ray and compared to the, the other two, it, it tends to be more midline. It tends to be, um, higher, um, in the respiratory tree since it comes from the, the bronchi. Um, but I think these are a good way to, to distinguish, uh, between these lesions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Okay. Well, that's it for episode one. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the people who have subscribed to the podcast, we'll uh, see you tomorrow. And for everyone else, uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, thank you, Daphna. That was fun. Thank you. It was fun. Um, I hope that we'll get some feedback from the community. That sounds like a plan. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.